This is Season 2 of the MENA Talks podcast. The MENA Talks is a series by the BIC on the wider Middle East and Africa regions. Once a month, our hosts, along with special guests, will have a frank discussion on underlying historical, economic, social and political drivers behind today's systemic issues. The BIC is present on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. Follow us and subscribe to receive our latest news and publications. Welcome back to the fifth episode of the Mina Talks podcast. My name is Yasmina Krimi. I'm a research analyst at the Brussels International Center. And we are here today with Filippos Anagnostopoulos. Uh, I hope I, I pronounced that right. Um, Mr. Filippos is a senior associate at the Institute for European Energy and Climate Policy. And today we are um, here to discuss a very timely topic, both for Europe and um, the world. Uh, So um, Europe's ongoing energy crisis, possible resilience measures uh, for energy efficiency, both short and long terms, uh, and what can be done. So for those of you that haven't been following, um, Europe is witnessing an unprecedented unprecedented energy crisis with gas prices um, up by eight times their 10-year average. As of August 2022, the EU and EU countries have spent $276 billion to curb the impact of the crisis on households and businesses. Uh, And a significant portion of the crisis, of course, is due to Europe's over-reliance on uh, Russian hydrocarbons. Um, So today, basically, Let's start with uh, shortly a, a, a question for our listeners. Um, can you explain uh, what is exactly going on and um, do you believe this crisis could have been avoided? Hello. So thank you, first of all, for inviting me. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to speak here today. About the crisis, The crisis might not have been entirely avoidable, but it could have been very well mitigated. It's not the first time that Europe is in an energy crisis. I mean, since the 1970s, we had the crisis from OPEC. And some countries did take uh, wise measures to secure their energy supply. This had, for example, for Denmark, it had really uh, beneficial outcomes where both industries were uh, generated, so wind industry, insulation industry, that are quite profitable at the moment, whereas other member states didn't decide to to move ahead. There were a lot of things that we could have already done, um, namely have better building codes, improved appliance standards, avoid having SUVs. Actually, the, the increased ownership of SUVs has completely negated the benefits of energy efficiency over the past couple of decades. So in terms of energy planning, we could have definitely done much better up to today. Now we do find ourselves in a rather difficult And most of the thinking is looking at diversification of supplies. So while this seems to be a good temporary measure, there is the fear that there might be more lock-in of this infrastructure. So, for example, when you build an LNG terminal, it doesn't come on its own. It usually comes with uh, supply contracts of long-term duration, 20-year supply contract. That, of course, is 
still locking us in as Europe to an energy dependence, perhaps on different suppliers, but still energy dependence. And it is not very beneficial for our climate targets. That's the state we're in. Of course, this causes uh, a ton of problems for uh, energy consumers, be it citizens or industry. And there is a, a lot of vulnerability. There's a significant share of European households that are energy poor and are having a hard time meeting the bills. And with a rather uh, difficult winter coming up, the recent projections show uh, increased cold spells and also re reduced rainfall, which would have been could be used for hydro. So this means that we will be having a few difficult months ahead. So that's the situation. We're seeing a lot of money is already being spent uh, by EU countries to, uh, you know, reduce the the impact of the crisis. We said it on on households and businesses. Uh, what can be done really immediately, both to reduce consumption and, as you said, there's a lot of vulnerability. So to to protect uh, or at least reduce the impact on the most vulnerable. Mm. Immediately, we should be looking at uh, demand side demand reduction measures, and we could have behavioral measures uh, that would be one of the easiest ones to implement. We should also have more tar targeted approach to the various measures we set. So, for example, price caps across all uh, energy customers wouldn't work because that doesn't differentiate between vulnerable and the ones that are able to actually afford the higher costs. Um, the talk about uh, taxing windfall profits uh, from the energy sector is very important. Mm -hmm. um, there is some uh, discussion at the moment uh, on the level of uh, EU policy making within the Council, uh, and the Commission and the Parliament on the, the cap on those revenues. But the general idea of taxing windfall profits and redistributing them to the ones that are most vulnerable is apparently the best way to go for the moment, coupled with demand reductions, of course. Sorry, do you think that that will be uh, done? Do you think there, there will be an agreement that will, uh, you know, allow to redistribute the enormous uh, gains that, um, um, you know, energy uh, enterprises or energy companies, the big ones are making on uh, basically what is essentially a crisis? We've had a preliminary agreement between uh, the European Council and uh, the Commission. So we will have demand reduction targets that will start from the 1st of December and uh, will be valid until March of next year. So that involves a 5% uh, reduction of peak energy demand. So those are very important and targeted measures where energy is its most expensive in the spot markets. And there was also a discussion of a cap of uh, revenues of 180 euros per megawatt hour. Uh, and this would uh, apply until the summer. All this will be finalized by the end of October. Can you give us um, examples of uh, the short-term measures uh, needed to um, have that energy efficiency? Some simple measures include, and I'll give the, an example of what will be happening in France in the next few months, is that energy users can receive push notifications on their mobile phones 
that indicate if a specific period is of very high energy cost so that they don't consume during that period. For example, let's not run the washing machine or, or something like that. And also receiving notifications where there might be a bit more uh, cheaper energy to, to run these processes. Uh, this is a rather simple and crude approach, but it works. Another thing that we're seeing, this, for example, in uh, the Horizon 2020 funded project Nudge, we see that when um, households are provided with an app that shows their consumption, the, the visual cues of a graph how energy is used helps very much to reduce consumption when it's not needed. It allows us to have a, a better feedback on our habits and how these impact on our pocket. So uh, these more technologically enabled solutions provided by a small smart meter that costs 50 euros or so and a, and a free app that comes with it can allow us to moderate our, our energy demand. And of course, there are the various awareness campaigns that are happening. For example, Korea is having a suite of behavioral measures that includes the appearance of TV spots, reaching out to younger generations, appearances of political persons or experts, incentivizing the need to reduce energy demand. These things work. And we can see that behavioral measures can provide a reduction system-wide of 10% has definitely been seen in Japan. So there is there is great potential there. I guess another question, I think the most important one would be, how do you finance that? How do we finance that energy efficiency? Where do we get the money, basically? Well, it is expensive, that's true. And a lot of households are already indebted and don't wish to get another uh, loan to renovate the property. And also sometimes it's not even an issue of funds, but but it's where do you get the appropriate people? Who will do the installations? What are the available rebates? Is there a what we call a one-stop shop that can offer these solutions? Is it being advertised? So there are a lot of barriers to actually proceeding with energy retrofits. At the same time, there is a lot of uh, available capital that is looking to be invested in energy efficiency. It is one of those investments that are very low risk because everybody keeps using their homes and keep paying their bills and has a rather high return on investment. So investment funds and similar organizations, banks, want to invest in the retrofits. But what is currently lacking is a bit of an aggregation of smaller projects into bigger portfolios that can be easily invested. And... We're also seeing a barrier due to a lot of due diligence that needs to be done. So one of the solutions that is emerging there, and this will allow the flow of capital towards uh, energy efficiency investments in buildings. And what we're seeing is more standardized procedures, both in how a building is assessed, how it is financed, what are the due diligence requirements, and so on. So new contracts are coming online. And it might be very soon possible to direct financing where it's most needed and also most effective to reduce overall demand. Um, so these are the immediate measures what can be done at, at the moment. And, and we're seeing there's a, there's already, winter is already there huh, in, in yeah. Europe and a lot of countries. I'm, I'm, so I'm 
both you and I uh, live in Brussels and it's already cold in Brussels. So I, I hope, uh, we all really hope that uh, that these measures will be implemented uh, immediately because it's already getting uh, getting very cold. Um, now, what can be done long term? And I think that is the most important, of course, uh, discussion. Uh, how can this situation be avoided long term? What can Europe um, uh, you know, do long term? And of course, um, I think a, a portion of that will uh will relate to um, the investment in green energy and perhaps uh, less dependency on, you know, on other countries, um, you know, gas and electricity, basically. Uh, yeah, what can be done long term? Mm -hmm. So the measures that we have already been taking, such as the uh, diversification of energy supplies, that's excellent. We need to have that. But in general, my my belief in what our institute works for is to start looking at energy efficiency more as an energy resource in itself. Europe is not one of the most energy-rich regions in the world. It doesn't have the oil production of the U.S. It needs to um, be more prudent and wiser how it uses energy. So energy efficiency is what has been termed the first fuel. We have energy efficiency first principle uh, already in the EU legislation in terms to how uh, we set up our energy planning. And it is time that we also start putting in place new business models that favor energy efficiency in the sense of reducing our overall energy demand. Now, energy efficiency alone is not panaki. We need to be looking at flexibility measures uh, so that we can have more renewable energies penetrating in the grid. Of course, this means uh, using energy when it's more abundant and when energy is not there, then you know at least a, a building can conserve its, its heating if it's well insulated. That's just one example. And then we have new models coming up where we can be using the batteries of electric vehicles for charging uh, extra energy or distributing back to buildings some of these are in a research stage. Some of those are actually becoming business models as we speak in terms of more uh, uh, smart management systems. And there is also discussions on how to use energy efficiency uh, as infrastructure itself. This, for example, one of the projects we're working on, it's called Sensei, and we look at the model that the US has set with pay for performance. As an example, this is a model that allows utilities and companies to invest in a building's upgrade, both uh, in terms of insulation, but also in terms of heating systems, heat pumps, PVs, and so on, and then distributes payments based on the benefits. Another way that we could be seeing this in the future is that in the same way that you get from your uh, retailer services for electricity and gas, you could also be getting services energy retrofit for the whole building with a monthly payment, usually less from what we're paying at the moment for energy, going for the repayment of those measures and tied to the building. So that's that's one of the long-term approaches that Europe could be taking. It's a way that builds on the existing system and subtle industries. And perhaps maybe we can stay on this for a moment. Uh, the, the support of uh, demand-side measures is also support for European economy as a whole. 
it increases the manufacturing capacity locally and also generates a lot of jobs that have to do of the installment of those measures. So there are all these multiple benefits that Europe can gain by focusing on upgrading our energy infrastructure. And by energy infrastructure, we also mean what consumes energy. In industry, this can take the form of energy audits, for example. So this is the the view and the approach we need to be taking in order to secure ourselves, not only from future crises, which inevitably will come in a world that is more and more restrained in the energy it can produce, but also in our energy transition. Mm, okay. Uh, so this is mainly related then to energy efficiency and how to um, you know, adequately use the existing energy. You talked um, about um, diversifying um, our energy suppliers, and then that's the talk about renewable energy, I guess. Do you think Europe should continue investing in uh, renewable energy elsewhere uh, to you know eventually profit from um, from that energy you know that is produced elsewhere but that will be sold to Europe later on. While this is not my uh, my main expertise, what I can say is that there is a lot of renewable that we can harvest, and that definitely requires very strong interconnections in terms of transmission system. So that could definitely mean that Northern Europe can be benefiting from Southern Europe, depending on the sunny days or windy days. And of course, this can should certainly extend to, to the MENA region. We need to be electrifying more, and we need to be able to, to transfer renewable energy from its place where it's most produced to where it's most needed. An important aspect here is that this uh, this endeavor should definitely be in dialogue with local residents and take into account local circumstances because well in in my home country Greece for example you see a lot of pushbacks when uh, renewable energy so wind generation capacity tends to be installed in mountain peaks which are uh, otherwise natura 2000 designated areas and i'm sure that this uh, issue might might happen in quite a few localities. So we do need a, a more respectful installation of energies without looking at only from the energy perspective, but also what are the what is the social dimension of, of these investments yeah. and the environmental ones. Yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a, that's a very good remark. The also the aesthetical part of, uh, of of the thing is very important, and I'm um, and I've been seeing and I've been uh, you know hearing about that discussion of yes, okay, we are for renewable energy, but uh, not uh, in this neighborhood and not uh, in 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 this location because it just doesn't fit with the whole. Um, with the whole aesthetic of, of, of that place. So it's very important. So um, just to wrap up, it yeah. will be uh, the solution will have to include both energy efficiency and, and the talk about, for example, uh, isolating homes is crucial. Mm-hmm. I think as just, you know, normal um, um, citizens or, or people living in the EU, um, um, you know, just finding a home or a house uh, that is well isolated is like a miracle. You never see it um, in any country really in the EU, at least for from my own experience. 
there's always a problem with isolation and uh, you know the heating never stays and uh, so it's it's very it's a very important topic uh, uh, and now we're talking about it more and more but that will request uh, you know a lot of money and and a clear uh, uh, you know plan and will to to and invest in that and then of course there's the um, there's the discussion about uh, renewable um, energies both here in Europe and and uh, in the EU's uh, neighbors. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you a lot, Filipos. That was uh, uh, that was a great discussion. Uh, and I, I learned a lot. Uh, I, I've never thought of uh, uh, energy efficiency. Uh, the, yeah, the the efficient use of energy as a as a long term plan um, for um, for you know this crisis and all all upcoming crises. We there's always the talk about uh, renewable energies, but there there's very little talk about uh, how to efficiently use uh, the energy we already have here. So thanks a lot uh, for this discussion. Excellent. Thank you for having me. For our listeners, you can, you know, find us back in our next episode of the Minet Talks. Thanks a lot again for um, following our podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mina Talks. Share your thoughts with us on social media with the hashtag Mina Talks and follow us to receive our latest news and updates. The Mina Talks is a podcast series on the Middle East and Africa, an initiative of the Brussels International Centre.